The most alarming statistic, Evan, is that in the United States, maybe I'll put you on the spot and ask you to guess. Sure. Women have surgery to address vaginal prolapse and urinary incontinence. By the time a woman is 80 years old in the United States, what are her odds of having that surgery? Not just having the problem, but having the surgery. One in how many? One in 10. One in five. Wow. Okay. And I thought I was going high. I'm like, she's tricking me. It's going to be higher than I think. And of course, it's even higher. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's insane. This is a rampant, rampant problem. Better than 50% of women have some kind of pelvic floor. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. What is going on, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Well, we are talking about a topic today that I never even thought we would discuss on this show. It's certainly a little different, especially interesting for a 26-year-old male to be interviewing someone on. Now, it's conceptually similar to a lot of the things we talk about on this podcast. This person that we're interviewing today, her name's Alice Adams. She's an RN by trade. She had a health issue. She could not get supported properly by conventional means, even being a part of conventional medicine herself to a degree. So she had to go out and become her own detective, right? She had to seek out alternative information and alternative practices to really learn how to get her issue under control. Now, the issue that we're talking about today, though, is not autoimmunity or cancer. This is where it differs a little bit from what we normally talk about. We are going to be discussing urinary incontinence and vaginal prolapse. (laughs) So not really what I signed up for when I first started this podcast, but you know what? It's a very important topic. It's something that needs to be said, and Alice Adams knows her stuff. She actually is nicknamed the Kegel Queen, and if you don't know what those are, they're actually an exercise that boasts uh, both men and women can do. A little different for both of them, I um, obviously. But it is for strengthening the pelvic floor. I'm probably giving an overly simplistic definition of this. It's more than that. And Alice talks about this in the show. So she nails it. Now, why would we bring this on? Well, we know what our audience is. It is predominantly women. That's just, unfortunately, who's um, in the functional space. Not that there's something wrong with women in the functional space. I just mean that it's kind of sad that there's only you know a small percentage of men, comparatively speaking, in this space. I think men sometimes are, well, it's tough because women will go forever knowing they feel like crud and then you know we'll finally get help. And then I feel like men are just so unaware that they even feel like crud <laughs> that eventually one day they wake up and they realize, oh, I feel terrible and I just had like a heart attack or something. So there's a really some crazy stuff that both sides do with this. And I wish we had more men in the space. But since we know our audience and we know it is predominantly women, um, especially women that 
I mean, aren't teenagers, that's for sure, right? I'd say between 35 and 55, generally speaking, although it goes all over the spectrum. This is an issue, these are issues rather, that absolutely affect our demographic, and Alice Adams nails it. And I think even though it's not really us talking about FDN today or functional lab testing, it's a good change of pace for people that are regular listeners. Some people uh, reach out to us and say they listen to every single episode. I feel like this is a nice, refreshing uh, change of pace. I have never even heard about some of this stuff. I had no idea what was going on here. And grant you, yes, I'm a 26-year-old male, but I would also assume, and Alice backs me up with this one, that many women, despite dealing with this stuff, might not even know that they have it. It's one of those perfect storms in this world where she talks about in the podcast, you don't necessarily know that you have these problems. You know something's off. You might confuse common with normal. And how funny is this, right? Because we always say this in the functional space that common is not normal. She used those exact words with these issues that we're going to talk about today. So some people don't even realize that they're dealing with something because their friend might have had it and said something or made a joke about it. So they're like, oh yeah, it's fine. But this is actually something that has risk factors to it and going on long enough could lead to other complications. So we got to get this stuff under control. We have to bring awareness to it. We got to know what to do. And what to do is actually fairly simple. And Alice talks about it in this show, but no one is discussing it. And she had to go through years and years of research to actually figure out how to do this simply instead of going the first route that Western medicine wants to go, which at the time of recording this is surgery. And her method does not involve surgery at all. I'll tell you that. What's cool about her is she's not dogmatic about it. She knows that at certain points, if someone was too late in the game, perhaps, yes, surgery is appropriate, needed, and absolutely recommended. But what she thinks is that way too many people are getting this recommendation as a first resort when there are years and years and years and years of things that they could be doing to avoid that surgery. And when I say years and years and years, I more mean that they have that amount of time not that it would take that long. She thinks it only takes about a few months, some people maybe several. And if you're dealing with these issues or you relate to what we're talking about today, I think you'll understand why a few months is a worthy trade-off for the alternatives. So a little bit about Alice's professional background. She is an RN, and she's also known as the Kegel Queen. Since founding KegelQueen.com in 2009, she's now known as the most sought-after Kegel exercise expert around the world, helping women who suffer with vaginal prolapse or urinary incontinence to avoid dangerous surgery and regain health and control of their body down there. <laughs> she is famous for creating the Kegel Success in Minutes a Day program, the only complete, no devices, safe at home Kegel exercise program created and tested by an RN. The Kegel Queen program has reached over 3,011 women in 27 countries. Pretty darn cool, man. Alice has shared her Kegel expertise as a guest blogger for the American College of Nurse Midwives and a guest lecturer at Bastyr University in Seattle and the University of Rochester in New York. Most recently, she has consulted with the Stanford Biodesign Fellowship at Stanford University in California. All right, well, this woman is killing it, man. With that all said, we hope you enjoyed this change of pace for the podcast, at least for this episode. Now, in the world of FDN, really quick, if you're listening to this within the first couple of days of it coming out, you are in the last few days of the FDN Summer Open House. This is where we did exclusive events, stuff we've never done before in all 14 years of the course being around. We've actually allowed people from the public to directly come in and see what, it, uh, what goes on as a trainee, what goes on as a graduate, things that 
people only get to see if they're in those positions. There are things with the founder of FDN, Reed Davis. And in fact, if you're listening to this at the time that it came out, you still have a couple of days because on June 28th, he will be doing a Q&A, and then him and I will be going live one more time on Instagram and Facebook on June 30th. So go to fdntraining.com slash summer to get all of the updates for that. That's fdntraining.com slash summer for all the updates. The price of the course is going to go up $1,000 July 1st, 2022 to match the improvements to the course that have occurred over the last couple of years. We have done everything we possibly can this month to advertise this, share this with people, and allow them to make an informed decision. So I know that they're a very nice team over at the course enrollment side. I'm going to guess they're not going to be too lenient with giving people a break on the $1,000 since we gave an entire month of warning and additional advertisements for it. So if you're on the fence about the course, please consider looking into this. And if you're someone that's brand new, the last thing we ever want to do is be pushy about this. It's totally worth the $1,000 increase regardless, so take your time, make an informed decision, make sure that the course is actually right for you. For some people, this can take several weeks or even a couple of months. It's totally fair, all right, and then jump into the course if you find that it's right. So that's fdntraining.com slash summer if you would like to check that out, and with that all said, I think it's time for the show. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right, hello there, Alice. Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Evan. I am delighted to be talking to you today. I think the audience, you guys are going to like this one. It's been uh, talked about as being refreshing in the past where we kind of switch it up a little bit because we're at at the time that this is released, probably late 150s, early 160s with the episodes. So there's quite a lot of content and it never gets old hearing these amazing stories in the functional health space where people have overcome cancer, autoimmunity or whatever. But I, I find that you guys really respond super positively when we dose in other things that are health related. It's not like it's irrelevant, but it's not the same thing as, okay, I went through this crazy experience and then here's how I figured it out functionally. There are many other aspects. And so Alice, we've brought on coaches before that help with the mindset stuff. We've brought on not religious, but more like spiritually oriented people. Like, all right, how do we find purpose in life and stuff like that? And I think your topic is a wonderful mix between novelty because it's something new for us, but it's also natural health at its finest, in my opinion. So you have an interesting title that you go by that I already mentioned in the intro. I usually start off this show by asking how did people, like what symptoms did they deal with or what health stuff did they deal with? I'm not sure if you dealt with it directly. So uh, let's start here. How the heck did you get into this work? What inspired (laughs) you to do that? (laughs) So I've been involved with women's health my entire adult life. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was 17, I had this idea that maybe I wanted to be a midwife. I didn't really know why, Mm -hmm. but that was kind of the the first inkling of it. And then uh, I went on through my 20s. I worked as a doula, a childbirth doula, like an assistant and a childbirth educator. I trained as an herbalist. Mm -hmm. I was all working up to becoming a midwife. And uh, I went to school. In New York State, where I live, the legal way to be a midwife is to be a nurse first. And so I went to nursing school. I got all the way through that. I was halfway through my master's degree working on uh, midwifery. And I was delighted to become pregnant. So I did a 180, left school, and uh, having my daughter, she'll be 18 next week. 
having her was the best thing that ever happened to me, but Mm -hmm. not the best thing that ever happened to my body. And I had during my pregnancy and then after she was born, I had sneeze pee, which I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. I've never had it. And I <laughs> but I, I don't think it takes a genius to figure out what that is. And that does not yeah. sound fun. No, it's not fun. And sometimes, I mean, sneeze pee for me was like a minor thing. Like, oh, I better change my underwear. I mean, there are women, though, many, many, many women who have sneeze pee or coughing or laughing or lifting pee, also known that that whole phenomenon is called stress urinary incontinence. There are a couple okay. different kinds of urinary incontinence. So that's stress incontinence. But there are women who, um, I, I had a friend once who was telling me she was at her kid's sports event. She yelled and she's like soaked. Oh, oh. So, um, it's, it's, it can be a really serious problem. So anyway, for me, I had sneeze pee. I had signs that I didn't even know were classic textbook signs of a prolapsed bladder. So that's another whole topic. We're going to detour into what is prolapse, because I'm sure um, many of your listeners are unfamiliar with that. And the crazy thing about prolapse, too, is that I was, even after all those years of women's health and all my nursing training and everything, I barely knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Barely. And I didn't even know until later when I started doing this intensive research about the pelvic floor and Kegel exercises it was only then that I was like, oh, man, that's what that those are the feelings I'm having. Mm-hmm. So long story short about prolapse, the word prolapse just means something in the body has shifted out of its proper position. So when you have pelvic organ prolapse, that's when one of your pelvic organs is not where it belongs anymore. So your okay. rectum, your uterus or your bladder has literally shifted down. It's like fallen out of its proper place. And so I had these symptoms. I didn't really know what it was. I was like, you know, things don't feel the same down there, but maybe that's just what being a mom is. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that was a problem for me was sex wasn't the same. And when I knew it, when I heard it was not the same for my husband, it totally freaked me out. And that's what really pushed me over the edge to take action. And so I was like, okay, something isn't right with me. Like I have my, my anatomy isn't functioning the same way as it was before. And how am I going to fix it? Mm -hmm. So the way to fix pelvic floor, I'm like, okay, you do kegels, right? So how do you actually do them? Like I've heard some things like what actually works. So I started trying to figure out what actually works. And every piece of information I found was total garbage. There are like magazines with crappy magazine information. There's like one website that disagrees with the next one. And even the like places like the Mayo Clinic, they've changed their website since uh, those days when I was looking at it back, you know, years and years ago, but they've actually made their information worse. I mean, it's like, not really information. The amount of instruction you get from the Mayo Clinic, it's like if you were 16 and you want to learn how to drive a car and the instructions were, 
will you sit in the driver's seat and put your hands on the steering wheel and drive the car? It's, it's just not enough. Would not end um, well. Yeah. So all the information <laughs> that, that I was finding and even talking to other nurses, people are like, I don't know. So I just couldn't find anything that was real and that seemed like it was actually based on facts. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm kind of a nerd. I'm a nurse. I'm going to go research this. And so I spent a year. I, I would drop my daughter off at preschool, which was conveniently located right down the road from the medical library at University of Rochester, which is a great, really um, good, you know, for conventional medicine, it's right up there. <laughs> um, so I, I just camped out in the library and I read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of material about what protocols actually work and how do you create a program that, how do you do exercise in a way that actually sticks? You know, how do you make this work? Because um, I was a busy mom with a kid and I had a life and, you know, mm-hmm. so I read all this stuff. I created a synthesized the best most effective techniques I started doing. it, And two months later, everything changed for me. The sneeze pee went away. The saggy, yucky feelings that I now know were related to prolapse went away Mm -hmm. and sex totally changed. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a miraculous thing to experience. And the next obvious step was women need to know this. Yeah. So that's that's how the Kegel Queen was born. Wow. Okay. I first of all, I love your. I'm sure you do this all the time, but still, I really respect the transparency and vulnerability with a topic oh, that most people are not comfortable with, and that's probably why there was such, and still to this day, such crap information out there. Because if no one's really talking about it, where are you going to get this stuff from? It's uncomfortable to go talk to a doctor about these things, let alone your friend or some you know blog person on the internet or whatever. So I think it's actually really, really important. And you know what, Alice, we were talking before we got on as, oh, maybe this isn't exactly like these normal podcasts, but in a sense it, it is, but it has a lot of novelty to it. I mean, conceptually speaking, you had a health challenge. You yes. really couldn't figure out how to work with this in a normal way. So you had to go find your own stuff. You had to become your own health detective. That's why we're called yes. the health detective podcast. So you're actually perfectly oh, exactly. yeah, in alignment with this, with an issue that has never even been, no one has ever even listed this off as one of their issues in 160 episodes, <laughs> uh, let alone done an episode on it. So I think this is cool. Now, yeah. my next obvious question is, do you are there stats that you would know of um, with how many people, women, I guess, deal with this? Because I'm going to guess there are many that were in this phase like you that, you know, they have the sneeze pee thing or something else. Uh, maybe sex isn't as good as it or fulfilling as it was before, but they don't realize that something is actually wrong. So I don't even oh, know how yeah. we would estimate this, but what, what is this right. supposed to be? So there are so many things I want to say about that, that I'm going to make a quick note. Um, So one, the most alarming statistic, Evan, is that in the United States, maybe I'll put you on the spot and ask you to guess. Sure. Women have surgery to address vaginal prolapse and urinary incontinence. By the time a woman is 80 years old in the United States, what are her odds of having that surgery, not just having the problem, but having the surgery. One in how many? One in 10. 
One in five. Wow. Okay. And I thought I was going high. I'm like, she's tricking me. It's going to be higher than I think. And of course, it's even higher. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's insane. This is a rampant, rampant problem. Better than 50% of women have some kind of pelvic floor issue. And one of the problems, there are so many issues with it that the way we respond to it is just completely backwards. For one thing, women feel this incredible shame. And I experienced that myself. I mean, you know, you know my background before I ever had my daughter and before any of this stuff was going on with me, I was already talking to women about their vaginas. You know, it wasn't like I was uh, had reluctance to, to discuss issues like this. But when it was happening to me, like the fact that sex wasn't the same, I didn't talk about it to anybody. I didn't talk about it to my friends. I didn't talk about it to my sisters. It was like I felt this incredible shame. And what I've noticed, I mean, notice makes it sound so light, but um, working with women all these years, what I see over and over and over again is this incredible emotional impact of something being wrong down there. This this body part, I believe, more than any other part of our bodies, has this incredible effect on our identity, our feelings about ourselves, our feelings about our, um, our, our I don't know, it's, it's like, it's so much bigger mm-hmm. than something being wrong in another part of the body. it's huge. And I have so many women come into my program and say, like, I haven't talked to anybody about this. I haven't been to my doctor. Um, And I really think breaking that shame and that silence is super, super important. Another piece is if you have urinary incontinence and you've already had a baby or you're over 50, you probably think it's quote unquote normal. Women, it's so prominent that it's kind of like this little joke, like, oh, ha, 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 you know, everybody, you know, loses a little pee, whatever. It's not normal. It's common. That doesn't mean it's normal. And I think so often women don't look for help because they just figure like, that's just how it is. You know, Mm -hmm. same way you expect that after 50, you're going to have crow's feet around your eyes or you know, whatever. Not that I necessarily buy that either. But people think, women think that this is just a normal part of being a mom or it's just part of getting older. And that's BS. Um, So, and then compound that with the way conventional healthcare responds to these things, Mm -hmm. which is worse than useless. With prolapse in particular, the, the, you know, we're preaching to the choir here. If something's wrong with you, whatever it is, something's going on with your health, you always, and this is something even like conventional medicine allegedly follows this principle, mm-hmm. allegedly, that you always start with the treatment that's likely to work, that's the least likely to have a negative effect, mm-hmm. the safest treatment that's likely to work. So, gee, 
what's the deal with prolapse? Well, let's, what happens when a woman brings this to the doctor is we need to do surgery. That's the literally the one and only thing almost everyone hears from their doctor is the only option is surgery. It's not true. It's not true at all. And that we would subject women to not only that surgery being the first thing on offer, but the only thing on offer, it's just insane. So if women know about it at all, understandably, they're reluctant to go look for help. And then another piece of the puzzle too is Kegel exercises can be incredibly effective. And most doctors have never seen someone who's doing them correctly because of this information gap and not only information gap, but misinformation in the popular culture and in conventional dialogue about Kegels. I'm, I'm guessing that your listeners have probably heard things like do Kegels every time you get to a red light or when you're waiting in line somewhere or do Kegels, uh, 200 kegels a day or you I've even to... heard stuff like that. So probably yeah. <laughs> or you need a device, you know, you got to buy something to put in your vagina and it's got like lights and talks to your cell phone. Like that's not real. Okay. <laughs> and with, I want to obviously talk about the kegels and stuff like that and the techniques and all of that. That's important. It's one of the main points of the show, but this is bringing light to a topic honestly, in a very similar way to what we normally do on here, but it's so unique. We've never talked about it. That's why I want to really dissect it for a second. Is this one of those things where someone can just go on indefinitely with these problems? Are there risk of complications or would you just go your whole life basically, you know, um, not suboptimal is the word I'm looking for, but there would never be any real complications or at worst, can this end in a pretty bad way? So let's look at so the, the three problems that Kegels address, sex, obviously, if you have suboptimal sex, you can live like that. You know, it's not going to turn yes. into a major health problem. Um, with prolapse, it can get bad um, in, especially if you don't know what to do to minimize worsening it. You know, there are lifestyle things you can do. Um, but prolapse can get bad. Um, meaning that either the uterus, like most of the uterus or, um, either the bladder or the rectum covered by the vaginal wall, you can have kind of a a large bulge outside the vagina and that could be disruptive to your life. Generally, you're not looking at like, you're going to start having infections or, um, Not a lot of complications necessarily, but a big quality of life hit if it's severe and unaddressed. Um, The big complications that can happen with prolapse would be that it's hard to move your bowels or that it's hard to empty your bladder fully. So you can be at risk for bowel issues resulting from constipation and you can be at risk for, depending on which organs you're talking about that are out of place, But then if you can't empty your bladder fully, you could be at risk for um, ongoing UTIs, urinary tract infections. And that, of course, could become serious. Yeah. Um, Especially, you know, if you end up on the UTI antibiotic merry-go-round and then there's 
you know, dominoes fall from that. Um, so directly from the prolapse, not so much. Um, then with incontinence, where you can end up with a problem is for women who don't, women who try to avoid incontinence by staying dehydrated, mm-hmm. that can provide a lot of problems. And also for women, what happens a lot of the time is if it's severe, women change their life in order to avoid being away from a bathroom. So they stay home, they avoid social activities, they avoid exercise. So if you think about, you know, let's let's list some of our favorite top things that are good for our health. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, incontinence isn't going to necessarily affect sleep. Women don't usually try to avoid sleeping for it, but uh, staying hydrated, exercise, and having a healthy, active social life. These are all things that are basic foundational supports for our life. And um, women who, if you have, let's say you have really bad incontinence, you have the choice to kind of curtail your life or curtail your fluids, or you can just like put on an adult diaper and go do the things anyway. Um, a lot of women choose to curtail their life and it can, that can be really, really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, addressing the incontinence is, is another option that we didn't even mention. But yeah. yeah, this is one of those problems. I mean, I know I've said it multiple times, but it's just so hidden that there's so many things I would uh, never even have thought of. I didn't yes. realize that there's people out there because it sounds like the way you just said that there's plenty that are dehydrating themselves so that they don't have oh, this stuff. And of absolutely. course, that's not a good thing to be doing for even a day, let alone chronically. I mean, wow. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you can end up with, I'm curious to know how many women end up with kidney issues because they have chronic dehydration. Yeah. yeah. So when I ask that question, you're more at risk for problems resulting from all of those things. So imagine all of those things, social isolation, not exercising and dehydration compounded by aging. Yeah. Which kind of puts you at risk for all those things in the first place or makes the outcomes of those things more dangerous. The reason, this is the reason I had asked the question about, you know, what are maybe some of the risk factors here? Because even though it might take some time or, you know, it might not be a huge issue until we get older, I'm not trying to scare anyone, but I also want them to take it seriously because this struck me when I was doing my research as a topic that on the surface might come across as just a minor inconvenience, but I'm like, I think there's a little bit more here to this. And actually it's a lot more, right? Because at the most extreme, yeah, this could lead to some really serious problems. And just because we hear something on a podcast, even if it's by someone who's extremely professional, clearly educated on the subject, that doesn't mean we're necessarily going to go do it. So I think sometimes, and I could be projecting because it worked for me with my things. Sometimes it's okay to have a healthy dose of like, Oh, wait a second. Like, do you know what? I, maybe I should be worried about this again, not stressing out all day, but just a little bit so that you take the appropriate action because you're talking about in two months, you were starting to feel better. That's not that long of a time, right? So yeah. it's not like they have to do this for three, four, five years necessarily. No. Oh, um, gosh, no. <laughs> no. I mean, and it can be months, you know, particularly with prolapse. And the thing is too, with, with Kegels, there's a different learning curve for different women. So, um, for some women, they might have already identified the muscles. They're familiar with the basic movement of how to contract and release those muscles. 
they're going to have a leg up over someone who has never heard of those muscles, has never experimented with them, is emotionally cut off from that whole region of her body, um, maybe has trauma and needs to kind of like reconnect, just really reconnect there. It can take a while to get to the same level of just simply moving the muscles. And then a lot of what helps with prolapse has to do with creating um, hypertrophy in the muscles. So this is a technical audience. I can use that word, right? Yes. Yes. Um, so, you know, you want to, just in case somebody else is listening, if you want to, the muscles, we want the muscles to be thicker and more firm, mm-hmm. better tone. So that takes a little bit of time. It, it can take, you know, like for me, a couple of months. I, I have women, I say, as long as you're not doing anything that is undermining your progress, I want you to give it a solid six months before you reach a conclusion about how much kegels are going to do for you. And I think it's probably about time to talk about like what those even are and we'll define them because Alice, this was, I want to be very vague about this, but I know that he wouldn't mind overall me sharing the concept because it's important. You had already said that by the age of 81, five women are going to have surgery for this. And I know as someone who's a health professional and you know just as well, even if some people are willing to talk about an issue, some people refuse surgery. There are uh, religious beliefs around that. There are certain people that just, you know, maybe they're so far in life that they're like, I don't want to go through that. I just want to live my life and do whatever. Mm-hmm. So you have the surgery aspect there. And then you have the awareness. Maybe they don't even realize something's wrong. And then there's the embarrassment category. I yes. do realize something's wrong. I'm not dead yet, though. So I'm not going to do anything about it. So there are three obvious categories already that are skewing those stats in a way that it seems like, well, uh, makes it seem that more or less people are doing it than it actually or have it. Um, I hope I said that right. You know what I mean? So yeah, one yeah. in five is already a ton. And then yeah. we have major categories here, which would continue to hide this problem, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But this yeah. is also something that even though it's a little different of an exercise, this is something that men can learn from. I have a friend, I'll just put it that way. Uh, he's a younger guy like myself. And he had an injury of sorts, Alice, that led to very painful um, urinations, uh, um, inability to control that. And this shocked him, right? I mean, we're talking a year plus of physical therapy and he was doing these exercises for males. And yeah. when we, he talks about me about th- with this stuff, because he knows one, I'm never going to judge someone for health issues. I get this. Like I'm very public about my stuff. You can talk to me about anything. I um, mean, two, I'm the only person who even gets what he's talking about to begin with. Right. So yeah. you have awkward and confused. If you talk to the average person, and at least I'll listen. And yeah. I, forget what the stat was, but it was unbelievable how many men he said dealt with this exact same problem every single year. It was a lot of like bikers, cyclists, Mm -hmm. um, different types of athletes and stuff. I mean, it was well over 10%. And you never hear about it. It was the first time I had ever heard about it. So I know that we're here to talk about the women today, but just for men listening in the audience, this is exercises that you can do in your own way. Um, Do your research. I don't know if you have any uh, places that they can go or if you are a one-stop shop for that. But I just wanted to preface all of that before we started talking about the exercises themselves because there's a lot of people that deal with this. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And um, I don't have – I haven't done research about men. I don't have a program (laughs) for men, and I unfortunately don't have a place I'd love to send men. I wish I did. Someday I'm going to partner with some brilliant – 
guy and we'll, you know, he can be the Kegel King. We'll figure it out. <laughs> so far, yes. though, um, so far, though, my specialty is women. And I don't have a lot to say. I don't have anything to say about technique for men because mm-hmm. um, I want to be accurate and precise about it if I did. And I don't have the I respect detail. that even but, even more, to be honest. So, um, But I, what I what really strikes me about what you said, again, is the shame. Holy cow, the, and, and if it's bad, I mean, imagine, let's say that, you know, I'm 52. Let's say that I'm a, I'm a 50 year old woman and I have sneeze pee and I'm a mom and I have sneeze pee, but so do all my friends. And we kind of joke about it and it's like normalized, you know, I still feel like ashamed and it sucks, but imagine how a 30 year old man is going to feel it's not normalized. He's like, can you imagine a man like bring into his homies in the locker room, uh, an issue with incontinence? I mean, yeah. the, the, the amount of, um, the lack of emotional safety men provide each other for something like this. I mean, there, it, it. I can only imagine the um, just um, overwhelming emotional impact that would have on a man. Yeah, and just the, uh, you know, the treatments that these people do get. I am not going to sit here and be graphic, but like the craziest thing that he told me was like, at physical therapy, uh, they need to, you know, work on certain places and. Right. You know, yeah. it's a female physical therapist, but I'll put it this way, folks. Even for most straight men, you don't want to be touched there. I'll put it that yeah. way. So, yeah. you know, it's as awkward as it can possibly get. And yeah. I just, I, I think it would be wonderful if people did talk about this. So, Absolutely. listen, I'm not saying that's going to make it better when the physical therapist has to do their thing. That's going to probably be awkward until the day that humans don't exist anymore. But at the very least, you don't have to feel isolated on top of oh it if gosh. you had the education to know, okay, wait a second. 10% of men at least are going to go through this every single year. One yeah. in five women are going to require surgery or get surgery rather yeah. in their yeah. lifetime, basically. That's the way to say it. So that's, yeah. that's a lot of people. So I've heard of um, Kegels. I would have actually called it Kegels before you said it. That just shows how private it is, right? I've just read about it. Um, and well, I'm not saying that's correct. I'm just, my point is like, since I only have ever read it online, really, you know, I don't, I wouldn't even know how it's pronounced. So, I've heard about this for men. It's always seemed like um, like a smart thing. I was like, okay, this is mm-hmm. like a general health thing. In my health journey, I found out about it. I'm not too religious with it, to be honest, but I, I do think it's a valuable tool, and I think it's probably something everyone should be doing. So just in case we have someone clicking on this today, because I'm going to imagine this is a boat many people fall in that might not even know what the Kegel thing is. Like, yeah. Let's just define it. What What is this, yeah. and how come both men and women can do it? Even if we're talking about women today, sure. how come both of them can do it? Sure. So... The basic anatomy, our basic anatomy as um, males and females, you know, we all start out the same way as embryos, and then we differentiate. And a lot of what we have is the same still, despite the major differences down there. uh, We have a lot of things that are still the same. So the pelvic floor for all of us is uh, basically a bowl or a hammock of muscle at the pelvic outlet. So it's like between your tailbone and your pubic bone, you could think of just to super oversimplify 
here. It's attached to the sacrum as well. But think of it as like a sling of muscle that's between the tailbone and the sacrum in the back and the pubic bone in the front. And all of your organs of elimination pass through and your sex organs pass through. For men, it's the same thing. But so there, there are gaps in the muscle. And again, I, I'm not super familiar with male pelvic floor anatomy mm-hmm. either. But um, the basic idea is you have these muscles and it's skeletal muscle. It's not smooth muscle. We're talking to, just in case somebody else is listening who's not a health nerd, um, you have different kinds of muscle in your body. There's smooth muscle, which is like in your organs, like in your gut or your heart. Or No, your heart's different. Forget I said that. But in your gut, say you have smooth muscle, which is generally not something you control. Then you have skeletal muscle, which is the kind we think about, like your biceps or whatever, the kinds of muscles you see under your skin. Your pelvic floor is skeletal muscle, which means it's muscle you can control with your mind, with your decision. Just the way you say, I'm going to lift my arm, you can say, I'm going to contract or release my pelvic floor. So Kegel exercises are basically contractions and relaxation of the pelvic floor, deliberate, conscious contraction and relaxation of the pelvic floor. And if your goal is only to get in touch with that part of the body, to be familiar with it, to have a brain muscle connection there, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how you do it. Like for a young man, for example, presumably not having issues. It can be simply interesting, particularly in bed, to just play with those muscles. What does it feel like if I contract? What does it feel like if I relax? What does it feel like if I pulse it? Um, So that's kind of one level that men and women can just kind of have fun if you're sexually active alone or with a partner regardless of what you're doing, you can just try playing with the pelvic floor. What does a light contraction feel like? What does an intense contraction feel like? Just play. Um, Then at the other end of the spectrum for, and again, I don't know what the therapeutic protocols are for men, but um, for women, you need a very specific set of protocols in order to do therapeutic kegels that are going to actually address a problem. And that's kind of where a lot of the gap is um, in the popular literature and also in the teaching in doctor's offices and in childbirth classes. It's like simply knowing how to contract and relax your pelvic floor, like that's cool. And you could call it kegels, but you should not think of it as a therapeutic protocol. It's just getting to know the muscles, which, you know, is a cool thing to do anyway, but it's not therapeutic. Okay. And I, the last thing I want to do is start misleading people on something I'm ignorant on. I think this might be one of the only things I can offer if I'm right <laughs> here. I have heard online, and I would assume this would apply here considering these people lose control of their bladder or they sneeze, pee or whatever. I think this would make mm-hmm. sense. I had heard before, even though we don't want to be doing this every single time, I'm not suggesting this health wise. I had heard that while you're urinating, Stopping that flow of urination could be an instant way to learn to recognize the muscles that you're referring to. Is is that correct? Kind of. 
Okay. Um, All right. So, Forget I said it. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, kind of. It's so. First of all, if you are going to experiment with stopping or slowing your urine stream once a week, max. <laughs> if you try it and it didn't really work out that well, and you're like, "Huh, let me try it again." Don't try it again. Just wait a week and then try it again. Um, so, with that caveat, um, would you like to do the uh, uh, one good Kegel with me, Evan? You can pretend pretend you're female and uh, do one, one good therapeutic Kegel. Well, together. you know what? You start out with episode five. We're talking about cancer, and here we are, episode one fifty something, and I'm doing Kegels live. So. Um, sure. Let, let's go after All right. it. <laughs> All right. So um, this and every, everybody listening, you can do this too. And we'll talk about why this is therapeutic. So this is what I call the movie star exercise. So you're going to please close your eyes and imagine yourself having dinner with someone you really, really want to impress. Maybe it's your favorite movie star. I like to think of Denzel Washington, approximately age 40. Other people may be thinking of others. Anybody you want is cool. Somebody you really want to impress, that's the key. You're in a secluded corner of a quiet restaurant. You're having your dinner. And this person really starts to open up to you. They're telling you a really intimate, personal story. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you have an overpowering urge to pee and pass gas at the same time. So hold it back as strongly as you can. You do not want to ruin this moment. Hold that back. And relax completely. That is one good kegel. And the key, there are four pieces of that that make that good quality therapeutic Kegel for women. One is that you're not just using your hold your pee muscles. The biggest, strongest muscles in the pelvic floor are called the levator ani muscle group. And even you, health guy, you're avoiding using the word anus. People hate the word anus. <laughs> People hate it. But uh, the fact is, this levator ani muscle group in Latin, it means lifts the anus. Mm -hmm. So part of what we do to engage those muscles is we contract as if you're trying to hold back gas. So we want to engage the entire pelvic floor, not just the P muscles, but the, mm -hmm. those levator ani muscles in the feels like in the back. So that's part of it. Another piece is that we want to have a maximum intensity contraction. We want to activate those type two muscle fibers, a light contraction. You're activating your type one, like your, your postural muscle fibers, the ones that are firing all the time. You want to jack up the intensity so that you're involving those type two muscle fibers. And those are the ones that are going to develop and give you the increased muscle mass that we're really going for. And muscle mass is only part of what proper kegels do. But anyway, then another piece is a sustained contraction. We're not doing little pulses. This is something people are taught to do is like pulse, pulse, pulse. No, we're doing strong, intense, sustained contractions. 
-hmm. And we're relaxing completely. This is another piece that's often overlooked. And I think culturally we have this bias toward doing, right? Um, I I like to to share the uh, joke. How many Zen masters does it take to change a light bulb? Evan? I I got nothing. (laughs) I I know this is going to be funny, but I don't know what. (laughs) It's it's not that funny. Two, one to change it and one not to change it. Okay. We well, have, actually, yeah, that was wise, if anything. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not like a, you know, pee your pants kind of joke. But Sneeze um, pee, not sneeze pee. No, definitely not. <laughs> so in our culture, in the West, this idea of like not doing doesn't even exist. So for women in my program, one of the biggest challenges is really focusing on relaxing. But it's key. It's key because the worst thing is to end up with a tight, clenched pelvic floor. We want to work it out hard and relax it really, 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 really well and very, very consciously relax completely. So that's, those are some of the things that, that make the difference um, between, I'm going to call it Cosmo-type magazine kegels and the real thing. I know how this works and this is true with anyone that comes on the show and I think it's going to be even more true with this topic we're going to have people that do actually need this they listen to it and for whatever reason they still okay I'm not going to do the group or whatever now some people always will it's just how it goes but others are not going to do it so Mm -hmm. I think at the very least today because we probably can't teach them everything that's good you already gave a great example and exercise I think that's that's a good visual that really actually helps what are some of the things then maybe that you've read in these magazines or online that we can at least tell the audience, don't do this at all. If you're doing yeah. this, this is that. <laughs> yeah. So the, the I'll start with the one that's actually dangerous, which is uh, there are diff- all different kinds of Kegel devices, mm-hmm. all different kinds, all different kinds. The one kind that I really think is There are a lot that are ill-advised. I think they're all unnecessary. Some are ill-advised. And then let's go to the next level that's actually dangerous, which is the ones that are based on weights. So sometimes doctors will prescribe vaginal weights. They're like, you start with a light one, you progress to heavier ones. Um, There are like jade eggs. People use different ways. But Mm -hmm. anything that you're supposed to hold in your vagina and just hold there, like while you're vertical, or even if you're just like Mm -hmm. holding it in, um, vaginal weights, you're supposed to like put it in and then go do the dishes or something for half an hour. This is a really bad idea um, because you're training your muscles to clench. Mm -hmm. Any muscle in the body, it would be bad to train to just clench. With the pelvic floor in particular, Training it to clench not only can cause painful spasms, it can cause you to have pain with intercourse, but it, it because these muscles are attached to the base of the spine, you can get domino effects all the way up and end up with back pain is horrible. So um, that's the, the number one don't, I would say, is any device that is based on a weight that you're supposed to just hold in. That's like dangerous. Then there's stuff that's just ineffective and useless and gives you the wrong idea that kegels actually don't work, such as 200 a day, doing them when you're at a red light or in line at the bank or whatever. Um, These are simply just 
not helpful. Okay. Actually, I, th- I didn't even, I mean, of course, it makes sense why I wouldn't know about this. I'm sure this is more commonly known with women, but I think there's plenty of women that probably don't know about this stuff. I've never even heard of something like the weighted one or uh-huh. jade egg. Um, I do not have a vagina. I would imagine that is not fun to be walking around with that and having to hold this all day. Like you kind of equated it to an egg, right? Like this, like you almost feel like it's hatching or being a leg and egg or something. You have to hold yeah. it. Uh, that doesn't seem fun. We're not hens. We are humans. So we're not going to be doing yeah. that. There um, are fun sex things you can do with a jade egg. I've heard, but the, the like training where you're just holding it and that's bad. That's gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Don't do it for this. So we've talked about kind of how to do it right to the best of our ability. We definitely talked about what not to do. So where can people find you and what is it? Because you kind of already alluded to this, but just to be clear for the audience, what is it that you offer? Am I going to work with you one-on-one? Am I buying a book? Am I doing a group or what? Or maybe it's all those things. So I'd love for you to break that down. Sure. So uh, you can always find me at kegelqueen.com and that's K E G E L queen.com. Um, And the basic program that I offer is essentially a DIY home study course with support. Um, The studies, research has shown that for women to succeed with a home study type Kegel program, they need to have professional interactive support. Mm -hmm. So it's not generally one-on-one, but I do live Q&A every month and I do, that's a group Q&A. And I do um, respond to people's uh, questions. So you can post questions online anytime. And I respond to those online. So there's interactive support all month long. And then anybody who wants to can come on live Q&A and we talk. Um, So we also, the, the other really important thing that I have discovered you know, this program, I've been doing this 13 years, so it continues to evolve. But something that, that I figured out early on is that kegels are part of the picture. I mean, it's just like it's it's like if somebody had high blood pressure, you're not going to just give them seaweed or something. You're going to give them diet stuff. You're going to give them exercise stuff. You're going to give them mindset stuff. You're going to find all the tools. Sure. So kegels are part of what you can do for prolapse. They're part of what you can do for incontinence. They're part of what you can do for better sex and for overall health. But there are so many other things that can help. And uh, we talk about all that stuff. So I have articles. We talk a lot about different things in Q&A, about all the other things that can support you and actual treatments that you can use in addition to doing your kegels correctly. That's so cool. I love that you offer this to people. And that's a great URL. Did you have to pay extra for that domain name or was it still available because you started so long ago? No, in in 2009, it was just sitting there. I was about to say, yeah. Nice. That'll probably be worth something one day. Um, Okay, now. now. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. For the last uh, few minutes here, I love if we have the time to always just maybe talk about a client testimonial. And I know this is highly private. I'm not asking you to give the name and the address of the person. Uh, But just hearing like someone that came to you, maybe what they were dealing with, nothing was working or they couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then they go through your stuff and that was what finally worked for them. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So from memory, I might have some of the language a little bit wrong, but the first person who leaps to mind um, is 
Chris from the UK, and I'm honestly not sure if that's her pseudonym or her real name. Some people we ask, you know, do you want us to use your real name? But um, she was so hurting emotionally with her prolapse. She had a rectocele, which is a vaginal prolapse of the rectum, and a cystocele, which is a vaginal prolapse of the bladder. She had both. She was so upset. She she definitely used these words, I feel disgusting. And she just, she was really hopeless and discouraged and just bottoming out. Like I'm not functioning in my daily life because this is driving me nuts. Mm -hmm. And she went through a trajectory, which is typical in my program. Like, oh, I found you. Now I feel some hope. Now I feel that instead of just like, oh, what's wrong with me? I have this problem. I don't know what to do. I feel like a victim. Oh, here's a roadmap for what I can do. So she simply by engaging with Kegels and figuring out that that she could take ownership and do something, she started to feel emotionally better. And she continued to to write to me and, and keep me updated on her progress and Uh, finally, she said, you know, I went back to the doctor. This is after however many months. And you can look it up on kegelqueen.com success stories. You can look and see Chris's thing there. Um, She went to the doctor and the doctor was like, doctor said my prolapses are tiny and I should keep doing whatever I'm doing. I'm like, (laughs) this is great. I love it. And, you know, that that kind of thing, um, boy, it makes my day. And when someone comes in and says to me, uh, I, the first time this happened, I was totally freaked out, but now I'm like, yeah, do it. When, when people come in and they say, I canceled my surgery date when I found mm-hmm. your program. Cause you know what? You can always decide to have surgery later. Reschedule. You know, this is not an emergency. Like you've got a broken right. leg. Right. This is like, let's, yeah, let's see what else we can do reschedule if you have to. If you decide later, sure. Surgery is not always a bad idea. It's just a bad idea as a first and only option. So uh, when, wow. when women cancel their surgery, I'm very, very happy. I I love what you just said about that. You know, it's not a bad option, but it's just not maybe a great first option because that Absolutely. is so true with so many things in our space. And, you know, it, it is rare for an autoimmune or cancer stuff that well, not cancer as much, but autoimmune for sure that the surgery is the first route. But, mm. you know, I don't feel like enough natural stuff is tried at all. Like Absolutely. we're talking about the other options are like a couple different pills. And if they didn't work, okay, right. cool, then we'll just take it out. Right. Um, and that's what happened to my mom. You know, she's actually oh, been gosh. on this podcast. It was just years of medication changes and all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, well, that didn't work. So we'll remove your thyroid as if that's the problem. Oh. And I I can at least somewhat buy the whole appendix thing because, of course, like once it's actually – ruptured. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a serious thing, guys. Like yeah. you got to do what you got to do. But the, sense. <laughs> yeah. But the thyroid is so interconnected with all these other things. And to think that anyone could believe that it's just the thyroid causing this stuff. I mean, I digress, but it's just, it, it's yeah. nuts, you know, and then in this situation, yeah, you have something that in almost every respect is not urgent. You know, it's not comfortable. We don't want people to suffer, but like you said, I mean, 
the risk factors are there, but it's like only worse when you get older, right? Or a very long time of having this. This isn't overnight. So you got some time to try some different things. Your protocol doesn't take three years. Like, why don't you try something else? Um, yeah. So we talked about where people can find you, uh, client success story. I think that's cool too. I don't, I can't relate to this as much emotionally, but I can use my head and think, wow, like this is probably a pretty emotional experience for someone, oh, yeah. especially when they get to the other end and they find out maybe I don't need this surgery. Um, but Alice, I want to finish up today since we're at our, our time. You are an RN by trade. So I think this is still a relevant question to ask you. It might okay. not be related to what we talked about today, but it's our signature question on this podcast. So I'll finish up with this. And the question is, if I could give you, Alice, in this case, a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health, whether that's literally do one thing or not do one thing, what's the one thing you'd get them to do? To understand or decide that their health is in their hands. That whatever is going on with their health and their body, they are the person driving the bus. Mm -hmm. They can get advice that if, if they get a doctor or whatever, that's their advisor. That's not the person who gets to decide that, that they really are the decision maker and the driver and but what they decide and do matters a hundred times more than what anyone else does about their own health. All right, guys. Well, that'll do it for today's episode with Alice Adams. I really loved her story and her just dedication to what she's doing. She is such a professional way and transparent way of talking about something that I would imagine as a woman is kind of awkward to talk about. I feel like this is probably stigmatized or shamed. I give her a lot of props for just getting on here and, and doing her thing and really helping people out. I know, statistically speaking, that a good portion of our audience has to be dealing with this based on what Alice said. So even if this had nothing to do with the functional labs, we're here first and foremost to provide you guys value. And I hope that that's what this did today. Now, with that said, I will be back talking more FDN stuff on the next episode. I'll actually be flying solo. If you guys like the stuff that we're sharing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple and or Spotify. If you would do that, we would love you even more than we already do. And of course, the course is going to go up $1,000 July 1st. I already mentioned that in every episode pretty much for the entirety of June. So please, if you are on the fence about the course or you're considering it, go to fdntraining.com slash summer. And if you're brand new to this and you still need a lot more information about FDN, totally cool. Don't even worry about that at all. But maybe hop on those events to learn something more. Uh, maybe get your questions answered because we're being very, very, very involved this month, even more so than we already are. And we're pretty involved, I would say, uh, as it typically goes. I am looking forward to talking to you guys again next time. But until then, please take care. So a little bit about Alice's professional background. She is an RN, and she's also known as the Kegel Queen. Since founding KegelQueen.com in 2009, she's now known as the most sought-after Kegel exercise expert around the world, helping women who suffer with vaginal prolapse or urinary incontinence to avoid dangerous surgery and regain health and control of their body down there. <laughs> she is famous for creating the Kegel Success in Minutes a Day program, the only complete, no-devices, safe-at-home Kegel exercise program created and tested by an RN. The Kegel Queen program has reached over 3,011 women in 27 countries. Pretty darn cool, man. Alice has shared her Kegel expertise as a guest blogger for the American College of Nurse Midwives and a guest lecturer at Bastyr University in Seattle and the University of Rochester in New York. 
Most recently, she has consulted with the Stanford Biodesign Fellowship at Stanford University in California. All right, well, this woman is killing it, man. 